You are listening to High Shelf Gaming. This is a show where we talk about board games and role-playing games and gaming conventions. If this is what you're looking for, please keep listening. You can always find us on our website, Facebook group, Facebook page, or on Twitter and Twitch and Discord, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. Super easy to join the community, and we look forward to meeting you. Hey everyone, this is David again with High Shelf Gaming, and as always, I am joined by the recumbent, Rich Wisniewski. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> I have no idea what recumbent means. I'm thinking of a chair that reclines like a recumbent bicycle. Right, yeah, the bicycles are going backwards, and it looks like you're kick, trying to kick yes. an eagle off of you while you're riding your bike. Lo- I would love to have one of those with the flag on it, so while I'm cruising... I got the flag hanging up in my recumbent yeah. bicycle. Yeah, and your feet are up in the air kicking like you're trying to fight off an eagle, right? Man, I think you totally nailed me on this one. But again, I was cowering. I was sitting there worrying about my breathing the entire time you said that word. And I just got it. I just got you to relax. Everybody, um, Rob Croy is back, dude, from the Table is Your podcast. Thank you Rob so much. Rob Croy, king of breathers. <laughs> yes, I breathe deeply. <laughs> we we were just talking before the show about like people who breathe heavy into the mic while you're recording. <laughs> Both of you stop it. <laughs> no, the the trick is to try to to eat the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> Physically put it inside your mouth while you're speaking. So I, I like you're busting the word out and I'm all worried about whether I'm breathing in the mic. <laughs> I'm going to have a hard episode, is all I can tell. This is going to be a rough night. I can tell. You're going to be like muting constantly so you can breathe, and then unmuting so you can speak. I'm like, you're going to catch me while I'm holding my breath. There was a long segment about how to breathe properly before this, guys. So there there is context. (laughs) And there was a test, and I failed it. (laughs) So, Rob, what are we talking about tonight? (laughs) Well, tonight, and I hope in future nights, we're going to be talking about uh, role-playing games. Yes. I love role-playing games. Especially I do. I love a good role-playing D. game. People who don't like role-playing games are wrong. Uh, let's just start yes. with a firm statement. Uh, but beyond that, uh, this is... <laughs> Folks who are here for board games and gaming conventions, you are not wrong. Yeah, if you don't valid. Like <laughs> if you don't like role-playing games, listen to how you could be better. Now... <laughs> So, Robert, tell me, how long did that podcast yours last? I'm just gonna... The way you ingratiate yourself with the audience. I'm just like, how did it not... How did it end? With a firebombing. A brick through the window. It ended due to poor poor scheduling, and my audience loved us. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. (laughs) Did I ever tell you... Oh, super quick. He he can edit this out. Did I ever tell you the Jeff story? (laughs) I don't think you have. I have? Okay. <laughs> I don't think you have. I don't think oh, you no. told Rich. So um, we were uh, doing some podcasts, uh, so one, some episode, and like one of us got something wrong and another person corrected them. And like, oh, yeah, people who do that are stupid. Yeah, right? Jeff. <laughs> and none of us, like, there's no Jeff on the show. And then a Jeff messaged us after the show and is like, I am named Jeff and I do that. I thought you were talking to me. Oh my God. <laughs> and then, like, the Facebook post just kind of turned into, like, well, stop doing that then. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. <laughs> so, I mean, once in a while, we would just, like, talk to him directly. <laughs> 
Just like, so Jeff from the audience, the one that we called out that one time, what's your take on this? Poor it's Jeff. probably wrong. Jeff, Jeff's listening to old episodes trying to be affirmed now that you guys are gone. Yeah. But we're going to be talking about role-playing games and their many facets. Yes. And I love role-playing games and there's a lot of components. There's a lot of mechanism. There's a, there's a lot that goes into role-playing games in one direction or the other. So this is something that I wanted to talk about, and I pitched the idea to Dave, and he mm-hmm. liked it. Yes. So, so it might end up, if people enjoy this, let us know. So it could be like a series of... Like and subscribe. <laughs> yeah, a, a series of uh, role-playing games. Um, arcs, plots, settings, villains, themes, what it means to be a game. Because yep. I actually don't think role-playing games are games. Yeah, and really, I think this is, uh, to put it in some context, is like... Here is some storytelling role play theory. Yeah. To help construct more engaging stories, more kind of look at it from a meta perspective so that when you're making a game or participating in a game, what are some ways that you can add more to this? Because you're not in like a movie where there's a main character and a bunch of supporting characters. No, there's like four or five main characters. Well, that's not like a movie. It's more like. This other thing, and we want to talk about what that means. The the main thing that I would want, like to to even start to begin, that I would want everyone to to understand, especially you guys, for every episode after this, is that it's about being mindful, which is really weird. Like, because he was talking, Dave was talking about the meta of it. So if mm-hmm. you're doing something in your game, right? If you're doing a thing, and you really like that thing, and you never thought about that thing before. I don't think that's good. I think you should consider that. But then if you think about what you're doing and then you choose to keep doing it, in that case, I approve of it because now you're mindful. You could have done nothing different, except now you have a formal acknowledgement in your mind about how it's happening. Mm. So role playing games is a lot of being mindful of what's happening in its many ways so that you can have a better understanding of your game as a whole. Scott, I'm in trouble. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so if you like to run into if you like to run into the room and hit buttons like Mr. Rich likes to run into room and hit buttons. <laughs> if you're a button masher and you're mindful of the fact that you're a button masher and you love hitting buttons. Oh, that is me. That is you. <laughs> but if you know why you love hitting buttons, if you know what you're I like to watch to the, the world game. burn. Yeah. At least it was a choice. That's yes. Right. yes, no, and not I'm like in a trouble. compulsion. Because yeah. I've got like five things I do for D&D adventures, and that's it. Dude, and they that's are it. probably hitting on some of the basics here. Yes. So I'm interested to hear this, because I do not put a ton of work into things. It's like, okay, you're at the tavern, and there's an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is the way it goes. So I'm really interested to see right. what we get into here. Well, there's there's nothing really wrong with that. But what I kind of want to do is before we even get into like plot hooks and, and stuff like that, let's back way, way, way up and just kind of talk about like what is a role playing game? Mm. Like, what is that? Yeah. See, this is the meta. This is behind this is, the scenes of oh, the role playing game. Yeah. You've agreed to role track. play. What have you actually signed up for? Um, so I just kind of I kind of mentioned this to Dave. I'm like, yeah, role playing games are kind of like the modern campfire. And. I was just kind of I was just kind of talking at the time, but the more I think on it, That'd be I a like good it. Title for an episode, yeah. Maybe we should title this something about campfires. <laughs> <laughs> also, we spent many minutes riffing on the title for this episode, folks. So there's background there for that too. 
if I get my way, there's going to be a subtitle. It'll be long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it so, could yeah. be, it'd be episode one campfires, colon, Rob gets his way. Yeah. yeah right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. So uh, how are role-playing games like campfires, as opposed to any other thing that they could be like? So human beings, for as long as there have been human beings, prehistorically, and histor- history in this case, meaning like written, human beings have been telling stories. And one of the first, and the, one of the easiest places that one could tell stories would be at the campfire after mm. everybody's done their, their hunting and gathering, right? Their tasks. Yeah. Their tasks for menial labor and survival for the day. Subsistence living. Yep. And, and since that sucks, <laughs> <laughs> they would meet at the campfire and then they could tell stories. And this is where the idea of the storyteller came from. Mm. And then with my art history, we could talk long about how like that gave rise to the the um greek acting and the uh, chorus and all of oh, that. Oh so, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah yeah but like but that's the idea is that storytelling and theater cuz this is theater in a way too all comes from telling stories and everyone who's at that campfire has a role to play and it could just be that there is a storyteller and that everybody else is an audience and you're I guarantee that people are used to the idea of telling stories because even if you just go out to dinner and you're like, oh, let me tell you what happened. Right. And then you start talking about something and then a friend who is there is like, oh, yeah. And then they like now you're the storyteller. You're in there. So role playing games are just a mechanized system of storytelling. Yeah, I used to think that role playing games were like technical manuals for fun. Sure. Because the books are like mechanics and math and like. Like they straight out of a technical manual on use math and stats to make fun happen at the table. But I think that's more than that, right? Like, no, that's kind of definitely how I thought about role playing for years. Yeah. Yeah, the math, the math and, stats. and stats. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's how it's often presented to people yeah. because role playing games in their modern iteration came from wargaming. Yes. Yes, where math and stats were very important. Yeah, it's just kind of <laughs> like the thing, right? Right. So something that I've often told friends, especially when they're looking at role-playing games for the first time to get into it, is that I try to make like a, a clear distinction. And I'm glad this is a podcast so that people can hear me go. So there are role-playing games, <laughs> and then there are role-playing games. <laughs> the right? emphasis is key here. <laughs> right. Um, so something like any Powered by the Apocalypse system would be a role-playing game. Uh, and then things like Torchbearer or, F- or D&D 4th would be like a role-playing game. Right, yeah. Emphasis game versus emphasis role-play. Right. Thanks for and pointing that out because I was like, I don't know where he's going. I don't even yes. understand these emphasis. <laughs> See, that's what I'm here. I'm here. I'm here Thank to you. to take Rob, translate it to Rich, and then Excellent. Rich, you translate it to the audience. <laughs> oh no, the audience is ahead of me. See, so that's the beautiful thing. If you can get it to me, people already got it. So we're in good shape. One of the things that I grabbed, and I'm going to ask Dave to put this somehow in his website or in the show notes. I forget his name. I'll, I'll give it to you at the end. I'll, I'll relook it up. But there's this pretty famous game designer or game theorist, I believe, who came up with his own definition of what is a game. And it's one that I actually subscribe to pretty heavily. And I can go through the whole thing, and I don't want to do that to the listeners. But basically, the idea is a game requires competition. Okay. okay. Yeah. And if it, if it does not, and what I mean by competition is, uh, or conflicts, games require me to be able to influence your move and you need to be able to somehow influence my move. Yeah. So think of like people running track 
That's not a game. That's a competition because they can't influence each other directly. Oh, right. Right. Okay. But like chess is a game because if I move my knight, that means they need to respond with a bishop or a knight mover or whatever. Exactly. Now, if we go one step above that, if that's a competition, let's go one up before that. We need a we need a goal because if we don't have a goal, then we're a toy. Oh, I like this. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cool. So I believe that depending on how your group meets at the table, because every table is different and that's okay. Your role playing game can be anywhere between a toy competition or game. Nice. Um, There's a lot of tables that have this very antagonistic view between the game master and the players. Yeah. Of course, and that's the way cla- it should be. Classic. No. Right. <laughs> I'm there to I, destroy them and they're there to destroy my game. Now, Rich is a full blown, full blown gamer, right? Because <laughs> because he's trying to defeat the game master, and the game master is trying to defeat the players. Yeah. <laughs> in that in that case, a role playing it's a role playing game. Now, hundred percent. Oh, when mm-hmm. I get to a table, I call them role playing games just for ease. But mine usually ends up being more like a puzzle because what yes. happens is we at the table have a shared goal. Mm. There's a, a rise of story-based RPGs that give a lot of tools to influence the story. And for purposes of trying to encourage roleplay, I think, mm-hmm. to try and make it so that it's less of a game and more of a shared communal experience to everybody get to whatever that goal is. Like a Microscope is a game that we played where the end goal was you have a role-playing game scenario to go through. You've defined a bunch of stuff. You've, as a group, played this game. And as a result, you've made another game. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, it's really, really kind of neat. So it's very cooperative as part of the storyteller or game master for Microscope. You're really just encouraging cooperative play. And you are also going to benefit from the result of Microscope. Yeah, and I think that role-playing games... Because the the way the rules exist, right? Like rules must exist for a reason. Otherwise, they're just kind of bad rules. There's no use for them. And therefore, the rules should help explain the story. And I use the word story here very loosely to just mean like what we're all here to try to tell. And sometimes we don't know what we're trying to tell yet. That's why we're playing. If I knew what we're trying to tell, we wouldn't be playing this game. I'd write a book. It's a it's a combination of storytelling and improv. Now, the game portion is where the rules come from. And the rules, in my opinion, should help uh, facilitate a better story. So now that like I've ex- I, I, I hope I've better explained role playing games are a mechanized storytelling. I now want to focus heavily on what it is to tell the story and how we can try to fit that at the table for a role-playing game. Yeah, and I want to take a quick pause here to say that this is where a lot of people that play a lot of different types of role-playing games, this is why they play lots of different types of role-playing games. Because they'll say, I want to play a game about speed racers that do a thing. Well, that means I need to find a system that supports speed racing characters yeah and or no i want to play a game of gritty detectives that are uncovering dark truths about the way the universe works and some of them they're going to go mad okay well those are two different games (laughs) there's not a universal rule set that supports that so that's why a lot of role players go out and find other games so like if you in your own history play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, 5th edition or whatever, and you are used to playing games with that rule set, sometimes it can be difficult to play a different type of game because the rule set there just doesn't support 
other like gritty, you know, down in the muck games or what have you. It just, you know, just doesn't support that. It's no. a higher, a higher fantasy game. And guys, remember when I found Doctor Who and just yeah. went nuts on how much that was a story game. And I was just yeah. like, oh my gosh, this was so much fun. Yeah. Because yeah, it just, it opened up that everybody was creative and everyone right. started building their story. Right. And you're trying to tell a Doctor Who story. Yes. And so you need a system that supports Doctor Who logic. And Doctor Who type rules, not gritty uh, Call of Cthulhu style detectives. When you tell a story, you're trying to evoke a certain feeling. That's what that story is for. But we're not just telling a story. We're also playing a game. So the rules have to be interesting enough for you to actually enjoy your time at the table. But also the rules should help evoke the feeling that that story is trying to go for. You could do GURPS and just if if all you cared about was the story and didn't care what system you use, you could just use GURPS for literally everything. That's what it's used for. Mm. But I argue that if I you find flavor in there, too. If, but yeah, exactly. But I also say that if you find a system that is better suited to your tone setting and theme, then the tone setting and theme will shine better yes. based on how you're interacting with go. the story. That's what I want right. to say. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a, a refinement to finding the right system for the type of story and tone and the way the players have fun at the table needs to kind of match what you're going for. There's a very famous... Mark Twain quote that says the perfect word is the difference between the lightning bug and the lightning. And in this case, the word is just the mechanics. If you get the right mechanics, it feels better in the story. Right. Right. So now that we like, now that I can say, all right, get your mechanics, find the game that you want to play. It should be interesting enough that it holds your attention, but not so obtrusive that it gets in the way of your theme setting and story and everything else. Now we can talk about the, the role playing part. <laughs> <laughs> right right the uh we get the, to play a game now dad yeah <laughs> with soon my son 3d6 down the line <laughs> Love and, even, and, and even that like this is where my 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 background comes in that's fun if i just said 3d6 down the line right that already evokes a sense of expectations on what's right. going to happen in the story right right now that we're talking about role-playing games as a story with a couple mechanics that you have in your pocket, which is the rule book, uh, and every rule book worth its salt says ignore it. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so now, yep. now that we're at that point, what is your job as the GM and what is your job as the player? What are we here to do? Mm. And I think that's really interesting because it it's not as simple as just saying who's the who's the actor. It's not, it's not a thing as who's like the game master and who's the audience. Right. Right. Or who's the director and who's the talent. Because that's exactly. not what we're doing here either. Exactly. Because everyone there is the audience. The game master needs to be having fun too. Right. And everybody there is the talent. So every game changes how every person at the table conducts themselves. Uh, Fiasco is GMless, And I think that's super fun. Uh, but there, uh, if you don't already do this, I actually strongly advocate for a session zero just so that everybody can like sit down and have clear expectations on what uh, we're going to be doing and what expectations are for each player. Yep. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's something that we champion quite a bit. I don't know that, and, and that can take a lot of different forms, right? I mean, that can be a formal sit down where people go through each thing, or it could be a, Hey, I'm thinking about playing a game or running a game kind of like this. And I want it to work kind of like that. Ooh, that's really exciting. 
I think I would like to play a whatever in that kind of game. Done. Session zero just happened. My last session zero was at like a Boba tea shop. Boba. <laughs> yes. And, and I sat down with like my four players and said, all right, we're going to play Masks of Nyarlathotep and this is a year long commitment. Who's ready to go insane? Yes. <laughs> session zero complete. <laughs> So I'm curious in what your guys' thoughts are before we move on, if, if we can stick to real quick, just like the idea of everyone at the campfire, the role playing game is an audience member, but they each have different responsibilities. Yep. Yep. I want Rich to go first. Why? Because I think that you have like a very firm grasp of what your role as the DM, what the player's role as players like, oh, you yeah. know what that is. Mine is to kill them and their job <laughs> is to live. And if they live, they screw my game up. If they die, I win. I mean, you know, when I play D&D, that really is about it. Uh, you can ask the folks at Gen Con. They all probably felt like I wanted to kill them during the game at Gen Con. And when they won and at the end they were all happy and happy and laughing, I cried. And but we had a really great time together going through that journey. It was very I, cathartic. I think the the like subtext truth here is that you want to have fun making them scared of death. Yes. And they want to have fun barely escaping death. Yes. Like and, and Indiana Jones style running away. my plans yes. and laughing did, as they foil yes. my plans. Yes. How, how did you get that out of what he said? Because that's not what he said. Well, no, because you, <laughs> you, you hear the tone in his, like, he's having fun describing the threat of death. And he's having, and he's having fun describing them winning. Like, he's saying that he's crying, but he's actually smiling. I, I, I see my folly. I believed him. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's no. number one. <laughs> See, you Rich obviously is already- <laughs> don't listen to enough of the episodes. <laughs> you're, you're not the only one that doesn't believe. My role, like it's so, it can be really tough for me starting up a game. And I even do this in high shelf gaming. I'll say, all right, guys, what game do you want me to run next? And I'll give them some options. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm really trying to facilitate fun. And I'll bring mm-hmm. in home rules and I'll bring in things from other systems and I'll bring in all kinds of stuff because I'm trying to facilitate an environment for fun. And if the players tell me, oh, we want to do this one thing. Well, cool. I want to facilitate that. And I'll just be in charge of all the stuff around what is fun for them. Uh, now, that's not necessarily true for this game that I'm about to start running. But historically, that has been true is I, I want the players to tell me what's fun for them. And then we yeah. go and run that. So I'm pretty much relegated to forever GM and I like it. I prefer it that way. Do you guys play in games? Yes. Oh, love it. Yep. Yeah. Either way. I mean, I played yes. in your game. It's fun. I mean, that's true. Yep. So what do you do when you approach it as a player? How's that different? So I try uh, and destroy the GM. <laughs> it's always, it's always a combative. Um, RPGs are a zero sum game and I aim to win. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so me as a player, whenever I join in a game, I try and think of, okay, what can my character introduce into the world that the GM didn't introduce and in a way that would uh, make things very interesting? In the Call of Cthulhu game you ran for us, I took a moment to introduce a little like prayer kit that had a bunch of extra rosaries yeah. and all this stuff. I didn't ask you if I could have those things. I just said, I pulled these things out and produced them and it made for a cool moment. I was like, awesome. As a player, I feel accomplished in this setting because I have contributed a meaningful object or artifact or, or, or moment in the game that 
wasn't planned, but was enjoyed, I think, by everybody at the table. Yes. I try and act. I like playing my character. So I may write my character. I may just get a pre-gen. But then I try and read what my character's like. And I actually try and play that character. Because I think that's fun for me to kind of suspend reality for a little bit. And just kind of be that person. And even if that person's nothing like me. I I, I think I played a really cool chick in our last RPG. Yes. Remember? Yes. Yeah. So yes. that's nothing like me, but right. I tried to play. I tried yeah, to Yeah, she was a hard charger. She yeah. was like, uh, she was, she was all out. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think that's really neat that like the, I want to use role playing as a way to take on a role that I don't have access to in my re- regular life. That's, that's really cool exploration. I'm glad that you said act because I have a background in theater and role playing games through improv have a lot of what's called give and take. And your uh, your differences between being a GM and being a player are interesting. So for the, the, to, to start to even begin that is to say there isn't necessarily a wrong way to play RPGs. Subtext. Yes, there is. Rob has opinions. <laughs> There's not a wrong way to play it. But Rob, if Rob is in the room, he's going to tell you how it feels. We're going to find out I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Because if everybody goes to that game and they're like, this is the feeling we want to evoke a sense of right. like inexorable doom by the cosmos incarnate rich. Yes. <laughs> Right. Then if that's the, the feeling that we're trying to get, yeah. then um, the way to approach your game works. And it that's, does. that's really cool. Yes. Yeah. And I think and people be, do be, approach beca- it that because way. we have mindfulness, mindfulness. Yeah. And so you've already done the thing, though, right? You've already analyzed your own games enough to the point where you're trying to see what I'm trying to do. Whereas like Dave is like, I want everybody else to have fun. And I think. I think you actually, for me, I would say that you approach GMing more as a player Mm. because if when you're a player and you're saying, I'm trying to introduce new things into the world, that's what the GM is often trying to do. But if you as a GM are just saying, I want to try to facilitate everyone else to have fun, then you're kind of doing like, like imagine a puzzle piece of the player saying, I'm going to do these things. And then the GM of like, I'm going to receive those things. Mm -hmm. And you're hoping that the players are like you. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Right, I, they just I like, do things. I do like active players. Absolutely. Yeah, um, exactly. Like, like I'll often tell players, hey, if there's something you need to exist in those in this room, just ask me. And it's probably going to be in there unless it's ridiculous. You know, like I'll I, I freely give up that a lot in a lot of games. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a fair read. I think that's really cool because. At the end of the day, it's a role-playing game. We're all playing together. Therefore, we all have to work together. If we didn't, if the GM was literally just the arbiter of consequence, then we could play a role. Then we could play a video game. That's right. 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 Yeah. And that's kind of how I see it is like, I want to do more than just uh, run them through a pass fail set of challenges. And then we get to my two favorite things and we'll talk about one. We'll see if we have time for the other one. Maybe Dave will yell at me. One of the, First things, one of the best things that you could do as a GM and as a player, once you start to try to like, it's going to be like sand running through your hand, like trying to grasp the idea of this game that we're all sitting it down at the table for is one of the, one of the things would be the conflict. And now Dave said that he just kind of like, let's likes to let other people do things. He wants to facilitate that fun, but there is no story. There cannot be a story it is impossible to be a story without conflict Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, i encourage all gms out there when they're pitching a game to also pitch the conflict because i've played slice of life 
games. I've ran them for like a year and they weren't fun. Like they just, they're just like a soap opera and it's okay not to be ham, but to have a clear goal, a conflict from the beginning. And that could be the overarching idea of what the actual game is from the outset. But then each individual character can also have their own min- miniature conflicts. That'd be like a character arc, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That is fair. Like, I don't want to run or play in a game where we all sit down and go, okay, well, you know, you're in a town. So uh, what do y'all want to do? Like, I, I, I don't want to start like that. <laughs> right. Like, I, I want to know what kind of game pl- players want to play. So I know what kinds of conflicts they'd like to run into political or combat or what have you, you know, mm-hmm. just to pick a couple of random names out of the hat. But definitely, if there's not something that the players are working against, then there's not really a reason for the players to show up. So, Rich, what was the before that conflict works best when there is direct opposition from the other player. So like maybe if it's the the GM, the big bad or whatever, and then the players are trying to do something, it's not like they're like working around each other. They need literally the same thing in opposite ways. Conflict works best when it is in direct opposition. So Rich, uh, what was the conflict in your most recent game? Oh, see, that's really good. You brought that up, Gen Con. It was the building against the players. If I'm if I'm reading what you're saying right, the players had to return this massive ruby out of this uh, silver princess's palace. Okay. And so it was the building against them. The bu- the building against so yeah. it was the dungeon. Yeah. Well, they had yeah they had a it was a dungeon crawl. It was a castle, so they had to clear a couple floors. But the building was working against them. It wasn't an actual person. It was the monsters. It was the traps. It was that that the environment. The environment. It was their enemy. Nice. Now that's fine. And I don't. There's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you just have to get. Oh, through that, that means I'm wrong. <laughs> but but you, there could be more, right? Like what is what is the player's goal to get the big red ruby? Yeah. What what? <laughs> who doesn't want the players to get that ruby? The, the house. <laughs> the, the house, right? And that's okay. But that just turns it into a dungeon crawl. At that point, it's a puzzle. Oh, right? it was a dungeon crawl. Yeah, it was just, totally an old school dungeon crawl. Yes. Yes. I'm going to I'm sometimes conflict does not have to be a uh, a big thing. Like it doesn't have to be this grand thing. One of my favorite scenes because every single scene, start thinking of your RPGs and scenes. Every single scene needs to have a conflict. Oh my god, it's like Doctor Who. Go on. Yes. Every scene. The players are trying to achieve something and someone else doesn't want that to happen right. or isn't trying to help necessarily. One of my favorite scenes I ever GM'd was 45 minutes in real time of my players role-playing being in a waiting room. How, yeah. how, is, how is this fun? How please, is it please, fun? Please walk because me they had this. Because they had to talk to the mayor. There was something happening going on in the city, and they had to talk to the mayor, but the mayor didn't want to talk to them. However, I had already decided that the mayor was kind of cowardly, wasn't really going to address the topic on hand because he was kind of a puppet. There was other people that mm. was controlling him. Mm-hmm. And they the players kind of knew that there were other people controlling him, but they wanted to go talk to the mayor. So the mayor was like, I'm in my, my mayoral house. I have my office. And if I just shut these doors, eventually they'll go away. So then the players came in and the receptionist is just like, hello, how are you? It's like, I, we need to talk to the mayor. mayor. Great. He's available at noon. Perfect. And it's like 11 o'clock. Uh-huh. So then they just like sit in the waiting room and I'm like, and then you sit. And then I just looked at the players. I just looked at them because again, 
The conflict here is they want to talk to the mayor and the mayor doesn't want to talk to them. But it's impossible to talk about the conflict without wrapping up theme into it in some way. I wanted them to feel like bureaucracy and authority has failed. Mm. So as they're waiting, I just looked at them and then they eventually started role playing. And then like they eventually came to a lull in the conversation and they looked at me and I'm like, oh, it's been like 15 minutes. And then they're all just like, oh, like one of them pulled out a dagger and started like carving uh, some graffiti into their chairs. Eventually it came to noon. Right. Mm. And they're like, "Okay, so it's time to go. And I'm like, yep, sure is. Y'all should leave now. And then and then like 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 in in a in a in a show, the four players sit two by two sitting across from each other, look to the right at the receptionist who looks at them, shrugs and then wait. And they're like. Okay, let's see what happens, because my goal has already been accomplished as the mayor. My conflict is don't talk to the PCs, but also don't raise a fuss. The players needed to talk to them. That was the conflict was making this conversation happen. Hmm. It was on them to do something. So then they role played again. And I was like, oh, it's been like 15 minutes. Like, it's 1215. One of my players just stood up and like walked into his office, like bursted open. And he's like, oh, my God, who are you? What's this? And like, we're your 12 o'clock. And it's like, oh, I see. Thank you very much. The conflict here was just getting to the meeting. (laughs) So much about this character has been learned by just understanding trying to get to the meeting was difficult. interesting okay (laughs) see i told you i got five things i do and that's it this is yeah this is uh this is a lot okay so i good i I have uh, okay i do have a story uh similar where Mm -hmm. i used real time at least as as a component in the game Mm -hmm. and that was i had a bunch of players and they were trying to do a heist and Heist can go a lot of different ways where they plan it to the infinitum and you spend whole sessions worrying about the plan. I didn't let them do that. I said, nope, you guys just got to do it. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Just just throw them in, right? And so they were down in the tunnels underneath this building and there were security cameras down there. And they said, okay, we're going to go through and get control one by one of each camera so that we've got them all. And we're going to turn them all off at a certain time so that we can run past them. And then they're all going to come back to showing their live feed. And I was like, okay, cool. I was like, all right, yeah, you guys do all this stuff. You get it all done and you're ready to go, right? And as soon as I said now, one of the other players like, you know what we could do? (laughs) (laughs) Your character dies. And he started describing this whole other thing. And the other players being polite start to listen. And I was like, TikTok. And they were like, oh my God. <laughs> they all got up and ran. And they would, they were already late because they were listening to this Yahoo come up with a new idea mm-hmm. for the plan they had just solved. <laughs> and it was just like, it was fun because the, the conflict was, you know, like, don't change a plan that's working. <laughs> right. right. Let's move forward. <laughs> no, that's super good. I want to introduce a new word into this now. And I want mm. to introduce obstacle. Okay. What I would say in that case, and it could be we'll refer to mine as well a little bit um, without the full context of like knowing the mayor and all of that. An obstacle is something that needs to be overcome. A conflict is something that needs to be overcome. An obstacle is something that needs to be overcome that is not necessarily in direct competition, direct conflict. Okay. Right. A conflict is we both want the same thing and only one of us can have it. Right. Yeah, two groups chasing a loot cache. You want the treasure from the dragon's hoard, but the dragon wants to keep their own hoard. That kind of thing. Exactly. So in most RPGs, especially D&D, 
you can roll the dice to, uh, uh, to attempt a task, to do a thing, usually at obstacles and at conflicts. But the most interesting ones are conflicts. And every single time, what your goal, at least my goal, is every single time someone's roll a die, it should be a conflict, not necessarily an obstacle. Rolling for obstacles is fine. Sometimes that happens. But if I don't, conflicts can happen just in like a few seconds, right? That's, that's literally combat. I want to hit this goblin. If I don't hit this goblin, the goblin what happens? He's going to kill me. Yes. Yeah. So I prefer much higher stakes in my combat because I want conflict to be real. Direct opposition in beliefs and goals. And so when you're pitching an idea of games to people, if you can figure out what they have to do, and then not just why they can't do it, but also why someone or something wants them to not accomplish that thing. Then you have a much richer story. You've literally created your adversary. He doesn't even have to be a villain. He could just want it for a different reason. That's what rivals are. That's. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's how Pokemon works. Like you can't both be the uh, the Pokemon master, the, the yeah. best that ever was. Only one of you yeah. can be the best that ever was. So Gary's your rival, and you just want the both the same thing. Fair, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, damn I, you, Gary. I like the idea of saying, okay, when you sit down to make a role playing game, have the conflict in mind, have that firmly seated into the game, and everybody knows. The nature of the conflict, you might not know who the bad guy is, but you know there's something out there that doesn't want you to succeed and will actively try and stop you from succeeding. Right. So there are three types of main conflicts. I'm sure people will remember this from 11th grade English, mm. uh, which is man versus man, man versus world and man versus self, or I suppose person at this point. Right, right. So just use the traditional names man versus man is usually i would say like a character driven thing yeah uh, otherwise you're playing a role-playing game one-on-one right right and you could do that but that's not usually what they're for so then you get man versus world and man or oh sorry man versus self is the character one man versus man man versus we're a world are the more traditional like there's a big bad evil guy or there's a big bad evil empire right <laughs> yeah, yeah big bad evil area <laughs> that is going to ruin you but you have to go through it so now you're versus the environment yeah so um it's really simple like it can sound hard, and as you get better at it, you'll figure out what the little uh, minute conflicts are at any given time in your RPG. Like, little things can pop up. You invent an NPC, give him a goal. Just immediately give him a goal. Something yes. in life that he wants to achieve. Yes. And then if that doesn't align with the players, you've Kill created the player. conflict. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that is, okay, making NPCs that are more than just a menu of, of words is so important and like yeah absolutely like if i have an npc and i love to do this with goblins especially for whatever reason i have an affinity for goblins is give them something that the players maybe have or don't have but something that that npc desperately wants and if you're like me and have no idea how to make a backstory for someone off the top of your head, buy the Nord Game Supplements. Remember that? Yes. <laughs> how excited I was? These Are guys, you we, we went through their supplement, and they actually flushed out a history and a story for these characters. Yes. And I was like, oh my God, where was this? I love this. Yes. Um, you if guys are creative enough to put it together. 
I kind of like when it comes to me a little written down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it's fair. I love pre-generated characters. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the game, uh, the other thing I love to do is have the players help me pre-gen things. So like one of the things I'm doing right now for our West Marches game is I'm having all the players help me pick the name of our nomad tribe. Mm -hmm. They've given me 30 names. Riches, warriors, one, two, three, four. (laughs) Of other nomad tribes that are now in the world. Oh, you and sneaky three dude. of them they described in intimate detail. We're gonna play one of them, but the other two, sure as shit, are in the game. I'm not gonna let all that creative juice just go away. <laughs> like, so use it, yeah. No, that's awesome. That's actually really good because what you just described is character background. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's for an organization, but it's coming up with a background and a backstory for a character. Yep. What I've been talking about so far is creating conflict as the GM, trying to make sure that you understand what the conflict is and making sure that ooh, there is conflict, ooh, oh, right? Yeah, let me, let me. Uh, sorry, I did not complete the circle on that one. These oh, yeah. other tribes circle all live in the same, yeah, these, these other tribes all live in the same space competing for the same resources, the same jobs, the same things that are in the world. Some of them they're allied with, but they still need the same shit that's on the ground. And some of them they're at, like opposed to immediately. No, that's awesome. That's perfect. That's exactly what we want in a conflict. They're not just obstacles now, but because players created them, a thing that you can have your players do and a thing that you should do as a player is making sure that when you write your um, backstories, you leave holes in them. You leave things for that the GM can use. Yes. Because if you write a perfect character, why do we care about this person? Right. Right. They have no conflict. There's a ton of people. Oh, my God. There are so many people who write backstories and they're like, ah, yes, I remember when I had a rival back in the academy and then I killed him. And that's how I came to be the master swordsman. And I'm like. Fuck this. <laughs> I want to play that story. Yes. yes, exactly. Yeah, I tell players all the time. They say, I've got this awesome backstory. It's called all this stuff. I'm like, okay, cool. All of the players in your backstory, all the characters in your backstory, whittle them down to two sentences max. Yeah. And and tell me the last time your character saw them. And that's all I want to know as, as the truth in the world <laughs> is very little information. <laughs> and so I can use it. Yeah, that's, that's good. And what you're probably realizing as we talk about this very preliminary episode of RPGs, the modern day campfire and Rob talks heatedly about fictional people is <laughs> period is that this is stuff that you've already thought of. It is, or stuff that you've heard. The important thing is to formalize that thought and just make it an, Make it a thing that you understand you're oh, doing. And I'm saying I've seen this because I now look at that character creation process for, um, oh, God, what did we play where we rolled up our backstories? I missed Session Zero, remember? And y'all wrote y'all rolled up J's for me? Oh, yeah, Traveler. Traveler. Um, yeah. It well, worked and- out a lot of this for you during yes. the character creation yes. phase. Mm-hmm. I yes. didn't realize why they were doing it. Yes. It was for the GM. Yes, and um, have all this conflict. Uh, the game we're about to run, Cyberpunk, has this whole life path system that gives you a tragic love story. It gives you enemies. It gives you allies. It gives you a backstory. If you come up with those things on your own, great. But this game, at least the way it does its life path, is it does it in a, uh, a little detail so that there's maximum tool tool usage for the GM. 
to say, okay, I can use this. This is something that I can use. It's not so firmly crystallized that it's like a hundred percent. I can yeah. see why it's that way now. Yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, that's, Rob's going through that. I'm seeing it. I yeah, see so, exactly. So, I mean, there are game systems like these traveler and cyberpunk that enforce that in the character creation. And there's hundreds of game systems that just don't formalize nope, that. Not at all. And, and I totally get why they don't formalize that because it's not part of their system. But it's, it's not part of the game. Right. Right. That's a right exactly. Game. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's one of those things that just because the system doesn't formalize it, you should still be doing some flavor of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the building just wants to kill you. <laughs> if you want, if you, how many dimensions do you want in your game? You know, Rich, <laughs> if, if, if you got it so that the building just wants to kill them, you know what I would do? I'd make it more like Call of Cthulhu and make it feel like the building itself is alive and hateful. See, the, that the is building it, wants to yes, kill you. Yes. That is taking it to the next level. And yes. that is exactly what we're talking about. I, that's it why is. I wanted to do this. I was happy to do this episode because yeah. I'm like, there's so much more here because I know how one path I am. <laughs> if you um, just, if you just, if you just added a little bit of emphasis, it turns out that every dungeon in Dungeons and Dragons is actually Actually, the cave of wonders. Yes. <laughs> yes. He wants to kill you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. No, I love this. Like I, this is so instructive because there's these things that I run into that I like, but I don't necessarily know why I like them. <laughs> you know, like you yeah, run yeah. into a game and you're like, man, this just, there's this one mechanic that just feels great from a from a storyteller perspective or from a GM perspective or a DM's perspective to yeah. say this gives me so much to work with why do I love this so much now I get it it's because There's, it gives me obstacles conflicts things that I can use in the game so I want to back up I don't let me know when you want me to stop talking cuz I I've got other things we can talk about and I'm not going to I'm going to keep it all into conflicts yes so so like so obstacles and conflicts the only difference between them is that in a conflict, there is another thing with agency, right? I've already explained that. Right. I just wanted to, to better explain that, like, if you f- if you fail against an obstacle, they both have consequences. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're trying to open a locked door and that's the obstacle and then you fail, you don't hate the locked door. <laughs> you you hate the thing that's making you have to unlock the door. Right. That's the thing that has created conflict. Right. Right. <laughs> the door is just an obstacle between you and that thing. Yeah, of course. So, okay, I want to, I'd like to kind of bring it back to, we've talked a little bit about conflict and then the player GM roles all around this kind of campfire. Can we kind of tie all that together? Uh, in what way? I have I have a fun, like, actual real-world practicum that GMs can do. Yeah, Ooh, let's yeah. do that. So I don't know if anybody's played Dungeon World. I was uh, hype and then let down for it, but it's got some excellent Game Master notes in there. Oh, cool. I don't much love the system, but it's one of the best chapters on role-playing, on uh, GMing, that I've ever seen. Really? One of the, yeah, one of the things that I've just straight-up stolen from it is called the Front System. Fronts. Okay. And this is how I'm going to help you write your uh, your conflicts, GMs. This is how you're going to write your next RPG. It's gonna you're going to do it in about 30 minutes, and then you'll be done forever. Huh. Sweet. All right. So what you're gonna so what you have is you have three fronts, and I want you to think of them as three separate things that are conflicts, not just obstacles. Conflicts. What are the three things that are happening in your role? Don't just have one big bad evil guy. 
have two and then a big bad evil area yes <laughs> man, man, man versus a world right yes um have three conflicts then for each of them think of and we're going to call them evil portents what this means is if the players do not interact with that portion of the story what is the first level of escalation that will happen to the world for that front yeah then if they don't interact with that portion of the story again what is the second level of escalation that they'll see happen in the world so like let's say one of the fronts is my go-to is like evil necromancer right right so then the very first thing that could happen is maybe some npc hires the players to go to a mausoleum for something entirely different like recover this lost artifact and they get there and they're like all the bodies are gone right that's weird (laughs) (laughs) why are all the why are all the graves turned up yeah and that would be the first the first level um of impending uh, evil importance i forget and then the second level would be like uh now that he has to house all of these these rotting corpses that he's going to attack the capital with right mm. so let's say he hides him in the woods but now like a group of druids are have been run out of the woods and like we need help attacking the filth and now they just have like this whole new thing of like the forest is dying but we're not really sure why and as you interact with them you discover this army let's say the players don't do that now that while they're addressing another front with their with its own three different things they see a zombie army attacking the castle perhaps they should do something about that but what if they don't what happens after that yes the the consequences of inaction i yeah exactly like there's this whole thing in like a lot of gms focus on consequences of player action yeah. You know, oh, I, I, I hate this innkeeper. I'm going to burn down the inn. All right. Well, there's consequences for that decision. <laughs> you know, you're not invited mm-hmm. in that town anymore. So we, we Why focus on bring up that episode where I did. Dude, I'm just, you know, it's, it's in my mind. Um, <laughs> so, but, you know, we always focus on the consequences for player decisions, but for the actions they take. But we also need to feed into the world consequences for turning a blind eye to problems earlier on. That would be the consequences of inaction, right? Or yes. rather, the consequences of misdirected action, right? Right. Yeah, because <laughs> they it, are doing something. Sure. Just not here. Yeah, they're taking care of one of the other two fronts, or they've decided to do something else entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then obviously you need to fill in all the holes with this, but this gives you the overarching idea on like this is the conflict, and then this is how I represent it. Right. And. and that just makes it so much easier to write. And this is Man. something that you can just put into a spreadsheet super quick. Here are the three conflicts, level one for each of the three, right? Yeah. If if unaddressed, here's level two for each of the three. If still unaddressed, level three for each of the three. And pff, you're done. Yeah. And then uh, as per Dungeon World, you'll improv it. At the table, some people need to like write up stat blocks and like actually create a story around that. But then you can make each of those uh, tiers of escalation its own conflict. Yes. yes. It's, it's, it's a mini campaign inside of itself. I love it. I love it. And that's one of those things that gives you as a as a as a, somebody making these stories a, a way of seeding in a lot of kind of like rich what things for the characters the players to interact with and if they don't the world continues to move on and they see it 
Mm-hmm. Like, I think that that's one of the important things here is that the, the players need to see that by not addressing this thing, things have escalated. And it's not just a, it's not a quest waiting for you to come back and say, uh, I'm going to go knock on the mausoleum again and figure out what happened. It's like, no, dude, that's moved on. <laughs> we're, we're, was, we're on to later steps. There's a fairly famous story of a uh, D&D game. I'm sure people have heard of it where the players came into a small like hamlet and just dropped a ton of gold on stuff. And then they like burst the economy and just like ruined everything, like all of the shops because money was worthless and then no one could buy anything. And there was like people like just like moving wheelbarrows of gold to try to buy (laughs) loaves of bread. (laughs) Because of all the inflation that the adventurers introduced into the small little hamlet. Yeah, exactly. That is so beautiful. And and you can do that. And you have to pick and choose um, as a GM. And that's actually a good point. Let me, I'll get back to that for the player side. But as a GM, you have to pick and choose what the conflicts that you want to actually tackle are. Because you could have a near infinite number of conflicts. We could turn the rest of the story into how everybody's lives are ruined to the inflation of these adventures. Oh, yeah. yeah. But as a player, you also need to decide what conflicts that you want to interact with. And sometimes that, if you're doing it right, I would say the conflicts you interact with are dictated by a priority system based upon your, your character. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if your family is from the Hamlet that all the zombies are coming from, you probably care more about that. Yeah. You ought to maybe <laughs> care more about that than trying to deal with the super rich merchant who's Come trying on. to do some other thing because you want that merchant's gold for yourself. Now, Im- now imagine if there's two different players, right? And one is from that Hamlet and the other one is a direct competitor to that merchant in another town. Right. Now, now the player, now the characters have conflict. Right. Right. But and not, then, not in the way that you always hear about in the nightmares where it's like, Oh, this player stole from this other player. And now the game's fucked because. <sighs> yeah it's like yeah, interpersonal haven't you yeah <laughs> ah the dreaded pvp of players right yeah it's much more interesting when there's story elements that drive two players to want to do different things and now we have to as a group prioritize what is important and all of it just comes from creating conflict that's all it was yeah i've always built in conflicts i've always built in things for the players to fight against but I have not formalized the escalation process before. I've kind of thought, well, you know, they kind of left him alone for a little while. So what would he be up to? And I kind of come up with it later yeah. when I really should have decided that already. And so that is a really good piece for me that this has been instructive for me to just already up my game and and to you know better understand why I like some of the things that I like. That's really important to me to kind of understand it so i'm mindful of it instead of just having this like general sensibility of this feels like good taste (laughs) you know like i don't know why it's good taste but it feels good uh this is much more instructive and gives me something that i can use there's a i'm sure you've heard of john wick not the movie not the not the baba yaga but the guy (laughs) the guy who did um l5r oh yes edition one yes did you read playing dirty i've not read playing dirty I, I suggest it. It's really good. And what he likes to do, and he, he says it very clearly, is he likes to make his players suffer. Yes. And, yes. and I, I was going to say that I think Rich likes to go that direction. And I think that I can give you the same idea phrased a little differently that I think will make your games even better. 
because going back to obstacles and conflicts, obstacles are awesome. They're going to be there. You should use them. The reason why conflicts are different is because you succeed versus obstacles. Success is fun. But conflicts are in direct opposition. They have agency. They don't want you to succeed. So when you succeed over a conflict, you have won. And winning mm. is much more, much better <laughs> than, than just, I open the locked door. It's no, I open the locked door and then I killed him. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. You know, as a, as a GM, I want to be thinking in terms of the conflicts and the escalations of those things as a player. I would want to be doing something similar for yeah. the suffering my my character has done to not be afraid of my character suffering, not be afraid of my character being imperfect. And then knowing, OK, my character suffered this thing the world put on them. And I, here's how I'm going to use that in the future of my character. So that's so, so good. I'm glad you said that because we thought this episode was wrapping up and it's not. Here we go. So the players are sitting down as a group, right? It is everyone's story, but it is your character. So if your character is suffering, if bad things have happened to your character, if they have been if, if they have been unable to win against the conflict, they succeeded against obstacles, but they can't win. Right. And then they die then their story is over, but the party's isn't. Now the party, the other players, have more suffering that the party as a whole has now. Because it's not just your player, your character, it's everyone. The party has suffered. Yeah. So yeah, it sucks. Your character's gonna die. But you know what's gonna happen? When everybody else gets it, they get the vengeance tale now. Yes, yes, exactly. As long as the players care, their characters care, about yeah. the person that they've been playing with for months or years or whatever that is. That's the important thing, I think. The, the, a lot yeah. of tables will be afraid of letting their character suffer. They're afraid of connecting with that. Instead, embrace that and say, no, what would you do? You would be pissed off and you would want whatever killed your friend in this game, that character, you would want whatever that was to cease to be. Right. And there's a there's there is a non-trivial amount of trust that happens in this because the the player through conflict, not obstacles, conflict wants to achieve something and something else is actively stopping them. And so what you as a player need to do is be okay putting yourself in the vulnerable position of losing. Possibly losing. You might not. Not all conflicts are going to make you suffer endlessly. And we're not am. You know, we have mouths. We do scream. Right. The ultimate juggling act is getting all of these characters with their slightly different conflicts to align so that, that way they have shared success. Yes. And I think that is for its future episode. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, if this is something that you're you know, that you're loving or hating or whatever, whatever feedback you have, please let us know because this is super interesting to us, but hopefully it's also super interesting to you. Send all negative feedback to Robert. Yeah. Robert, <sighs> dude, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your expertise in this field. Yeah. And this has been uh, this has been a ton of fun. Uh, so two things. One, as Rich says, you can send all negative feedback to me at TTIYcast at gmail.com. <laughs> That's right. The table is yours. The podcast. <laughs> the table is yours. <laughs> where, we, uh, where we read about magical samurai and magical samurai land. Yeah. Legend of the Five Rings. Yes. That's a great way to describe that. 
<laughs> but what I'm really interested in is if you listen to this and that if I can call you to action per se, I'd really love to know what everyone's two things because they're different. Okay. What was the main conflict in your most recent game? Mm. And what was the most meaningful conflict in your most in most recent game? Because they are they're not always the same. And telling you, play, having played a game with uh, Robert before, he puts a lot of this into practice. Yes. His, his Call of Cthulhu game? Yes. Dude. Yes. Dude. Yes. It was good. <laughs> I felt like I was in a movie. It was yes. good. Yes. Agreed. Oh, Fucking flying you. knives. <laughs> awesome. Well, everyone at home, thanks a ton for listening. As always, have fun and play well. May all your roles be crits. Catchphrase. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by me, David Gillespie, with music provided by Taylor Guillory. Our web presence is managed by Amy Nelson. And if you like our style, please leave a review for us on iTunes. It's the best way to help people find us. Most importantly, though, feel welcome to connect with us on Twitter, our Facebook group, Discord server, our Friday night Twitch streams, and our website, all under the name High Shelf Gaming. We really look forward to talking and playing games with you. See, what, do you, now, what do you got against titles? I am so <laughs> glad I'm not in charge of titles because it'd all be like Rich and Rob hey, or Rich and Dave hanging out talking again, number four. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And Amy will be like, David, how am I supposed to fucking make art for Rich and David talk about shit again? <laughs> right. And then, but then, like, the, the show notes will be like, you fucking listen to the first three, so come on back and listen to the next one. <laughs> Here's some random links. I'm not going to tell you anything about them. Just click. Yes. You can go on YouTube and just watch shit all day or listen to this. You have, you, to you have to slowly develop an abusive relationship with your audience. Oh, it sounds like that. <laughs> oh my god. RPG Stories Part 1, The Modern Campfire, colon. <laughs> you have to slowly develop an abusive relationship. Or, yeah, no, or um, RPG Stories Part 1, The Modern Campfire, or how to develop a... How, how to abuse your audience and have them enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to the table is yours. That's how you do that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>